welcome to another edition of the GOAT Zoom Room. I'm Caitlin, joined as always by Danny. We have a special guest today, Dan Cronin from the Fat Bald Guy Racing. We'll probably get some of Dan's uh, derby synopsis, talk about his site, various other stories, and maybe talk a little bit about the Preakness since the races, of course, have been drawn. So, Dan, I'll just ask (laughs) from the top so we can finally put this topic to bed and move on to the Preakness. Um, What were your derby thoughts? Well, I just think it happens a lot in racing when you get a suicidal pace. Uh, weird things happen, and they went just way, way too fast early. The, the two horses that basically I've been saying for years don't belong in the race, but they just happened to be suicide speed horses this year, and they went flying out of there and just created a, a wild result. Um it happens. It happens usually in one turn dirt miles at Churchill. Uh, God, I can think of several of them off the top of my head. The Breeders' Cup that year when the 80 to 1 win, I think it was Dakota Phone, uh, Agent Denozo win going a flat mile at like 30 to 1 on Derby Week. Uh, the Pat Day Mile, Funny Duck won that year when they went suicide. So, you know, when that stuff happens, you get wild results. And, and I thought that the second, third place finishers ran well. You know, they just staggered home because of that pace, and uh, we got a weird one. It happens. I'm I'm happy for my buddies that all hit the all button, because uh, if you didn't have the all button, I don't know one. I don't even know one red border. Has one red border claimed that they had this horse? There's always that one guy. I I haven't seen one yet. It's all anybody that cashed hit the all button. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely with you. I haven't seen anybody claim to have had this horse and had it been logical because I mean yeah this was a race where you definitely thought there was going to be a hot pace definitely not the way they were going because I believe through the half mile point they were on record time actually I know it was the fastest opening quarter mile out of the 148 years that they've ever ran but I mean you want to consider other closers Mo Donegal Zandon you know maybe even like hit it up or tis the bomb or some type of others but I mean I feel like if you really singled this horse out. I mean, I thought he maybe had a chance to run top 10 and pass tiring horses in the end and just, you know, run the race that he always does. But I feel like if you're a seasoned horse player and you didn't hit the all button or your wife didn't like the name or you're just betting on a long shot, I feel like you're not telling the truth. (laughs) Exactly. You're exactly right there. There's just no way. I mean, we can look at it a hundred different ways. There's just no way other than an address or you just like Sonny Leone or you, you, you go to Belterra park every week and you just wanted to bet five bucks on him. That's the only possible way. Any logical handicapping, you just, you just can't have him. And um, fortunately for a couple guys, I know they were lucky enough to hit the all button and it's the only way you could have it. We had, we had one person who, had the misfortune of having PVG go down and her thinking that she had hit the pick four or the pick five for $275,000 and then realizing that PVG never accepted the bet. So um, it was crushing to say the least. It looked like it took the bet but just didn't like sweep the money out of her account. Yeah. Either or, I mean, it's it just sucks, right? I mean, PBG has a habit of doing that. Uh, you know, one thing I wanted to talk to you about was 
you know, one thing that we always ask people is how they get involved in, in horse racing or the gambling side or whatever the case may be. What, what's your backstory to it? Well, my dad was an usher and mutual clerk at River Downs and Turfway Park in the summers. Uh, he was a high school uh, teacher and basketball coach for a while. Then he was uh, then he was a professional baseball scout for a while. But he always, growing up, was a mutual clerk uh, when he was in town at at River Downs. So I would always go down there with him, and then go off to my baseball games at four or five o'clock. And and so I was down there since I was four or five years old, my dad was the guy you'll laugh at this. He was the guy that all the big betters would come to. He was at the $50 minimum and they would ask him who he liked and he would check their programs. And then I'd noticed that there was always a small exchange of money. And I'd start asking him as I got older, you know, why do those people give you money? And he's like, cause I give them the winners and they don't have a chance without me. So I circle a couple horses help them out. They give me a buck or two or, you know, three or four dollars in 1975 to 1980. You know, that's like 20 now. Uh, but that's how he did it because he only got $30 to work the machines. So he would make another 30 or 40, you know, tipping out different horses and and uh, going in the mornings and getting trainers to, to tell him the babies and stuff like that. So that's kind of how all that came to play in, in my head for years. Uh, before I ever even opened up my site, that it can be done. You just got to have a following. You've got to be respected. And if you pick enough winners, people will pay. You just got to have, you got to be worth it. You know, they're not going to pay if you don't pick winners and if you don't give them information that they can't get on their own. And I watched my dad since I was, I mean, I was really little uh, for years and years and years doing that. Um, so that's kind of how it all began. I was, I was marking programs at River Downs at 16 years old and, and giving out two-year-olds at Turfway at 18, 19 years old. And, heck, I had my entire college basketball team drive to Paducah to bet Breeders' Cup Day as I was giving them all the horses and the coaches, the coaching staff, everybody, uh, you know, all through college. So the only thing I didn't get into was bookmaking. <laughs> I never did that. Right? <laughs> what – um. You know, you talk about your dad real quick, but your dad's kind of like a coaching legend, and if I'm not mistaken, in in Ohio, right? Yeah, he's got 400 high school wins, and uh, he coached at three different schools and uh, won a state title at, at LaSalle High School and um, coached a lot of different players. And then as he got older, the Atlanta Braves were really bothering him to go full-time because he was just doing it part-time. And so he finally retired from coaching after he had a heart episode on the sideline. It was actually Mick's senior year in high school. He had a little heart issue. So he stepped back, became the assistant, and then went full-time with the Atlanta Braves. But he's in four different Hall of Fames around here. Uh, the Ohio High School, the Greater Cincinnati, or a couple of them. He's in the Major League Baseball Scouting Hall of Fame up in Minnesota, uh, which is a huge honor, I think, at least. I mean, he... He drafted Chipper Jones. He drafted David Justice, um, and then several other guys. But those were the two, the two big ones. And then he was involved in the John Smoltz trade uh, to get the. I don't know how many guys even remember this, but the Detroit Tigers were leading the league that year, and they needed a number one pitcher. And the Braves were terrible, and they had Doyle Alexander, who was a really good pitcher. So Doyle Alexander went to the Tigers, who ultimately won the title that year with him. 
but the player to be named later was some unknown single-A minor league pitcher named John Smoltz. And that was my dad that recommended you need to you need to get Smoltz as the player to be named later. And the Tigers gave him up and now he's in the Hall of Fame. So uh yeah, he he's he's done a lot and it's all talent oriented. So uh it translates to horses and it translates, you know, with my brother with basketball recruiting, because that's all we've done our whole lives is look for talent. Yeah, I um I usually make a joke about Caitlin, do you know who any of these ball players are? But see now her dad is big into baseball and I think he coaches and all of that. I think she's pretty much knows who they are. <laughs> I um, It's funny, Dan. It sounds like your dad reminds me a lot of mine. I believe my dad's also in the high school, Ohio High School Athletic Association Coaching Hall of Fame. Nice. <laughs> so he still coaches, but um, I can see when he retires, maybe wanting to do some scouting and stuff like that. Cause he scouted for some big colleges and stuff too. So I definitely can relate to that. And, you know, I've been around a lot of that growing up too, but my dad never had a passion for the horses until I started having it. Heck, my, my favorite memory, you guys will love it. I, I got to go to the world series uh, I, gosh, the years all run together, but I believe it was 92. Uh, it was down in Atlanta and I sat down and I looked to my left, the st- seat right next to me. And I almost choked on my food and my beer. It was Halle Berry. And, <laughs> and, and for nine innings, I couldn't breathe. I kept looking at my dad going, well, how, what, why would you put me next to her? And he's like, well, it's David's wife and we got David's tickets. So Obviously, we're going to be next to her for the next two games. So the next game, I made him sit next to her because I couldn't breathe for for three hours. I was so nervous. <laughs> sit next, sit next to. I think she was about twenty seven or twenty eight at the time, and it was like, oh, geez, I can't sit next to her. I'm I'm too damn nervous. This is this is this is too nerve wracking trying to watch a baseball game and small talk with Halle Berry of all people. Were you able to have small talk with her, or were you just too nervous? I, I tried, but I probably didn't make any sense. I mean, it was it was rough. It was just as I, I talked to Jane Fonda for about two minutes after the game in line to get food at the they had this tent for all the workers and her and Ted Turner had had went first and I was right behind her and she kept saying, Son, grab this, son, grab that. And she was really, really nice. And I talked to her for a couple minutes. So that's the only two movie stars I've ever really spoke with in my life, but it was a great experience for sure. Yeah. Um, so uh, Ted Turner and Jane Fonda actually owned Racing Arabians uh, back in the wow. mid-90s with uh, Magnus Racing Ventures because Bob Magnus and uh, Ted Turner were friends. So they would wow. go in and buy racing arabians and per and and run them together um i always thought that was kind of cool but you know they had some tie to racing it even though it wasn't the best type of tie i mean it is arabians you know you talk about you talk about being able to see the talent and i'm kind of like you on that i kind of agree with you on that and i think caitlin would too but there <laughs> is some there is some plus to knowing that if you have um, if you have some, if you have some background in being able to see talent 
whether it's on the racetrack or whether or not you're um, doing another sports venture, right? I think it translate, translates pretty well to being able to pick horses um, on track a lot. Would you agree on that? Oh, yeah, I do, because it's, you know, the, baseball's all about numbers. All these analytics are all about numbers now in basketball, baseball. It's all numbers. So if you don't understand the numbers and you can't project, especially with two-year-olds and young three-year-olds, if you can't project what, in your mind what this horse is going to run on this particular day and then be able to see, is he athletic? Does he have a long stride or short stride? I mean, I'm not great at that stuff, but I've gotten way better over the years, and that's where XBTV to me comes in. I, I'm, I've been screaming at Churchill Downs that this is ridiculous. we got to get cameras in the mornings for the workouts. I mean, XBTV does it on the West Coast. They're doing it at, at Pletcher's facility. I mean, there's no reason to not have cameras in the mornings and just plop it on a website so we can all see these workouts uh, because that's how you improve. That's how you get younger players. I mean, younger players want more information, more information. And the more you can give them, the better chance they got. And when I sat down with the, I'll, I'll let the ADW remain nameless, but I sat down with them and they told me 97.8% of their accounts lose. Of the 2.2 accounts that win, 1.4 are computers. Now think about that. Less than 1% of human beings that are betting horses are profitable at the end of a year. Something's got to be done to help. I mean, we've got to start helping or they're going to go to sports. They're going to go somewhere else or they're just going to quit playing. You can't have one out of 100 guys or girls profiting. And it doesn't seem like the brass understand that. They can't get it. And it's if, if it's putting cameras in and helping with workouts or helping with better numbers and better information, we've got to do something to help the gambler and not just lure people in by bands and drinking beer. Because at the end of the night, if they lose 200 bucks, they're not coming back. Yeah. I mean, that's you know my philosophy, at least. What do you think, Caitlin? No, I, I definitely agree. And I hear what you're saying. I'm a huge proponent of, you know, taped workouts and stuff like that, because I mean, really, unless you're on track in the mornings, I know you and I go to the tracks a lot, Andy too. So, I mean, we're privy to that type of information, but the everyday player maybe isn't, or, you know, just kind of chattering around and eavesdropping. And I know I do a lot of that at tracks. Um, but also I think another huge part of it is, I can't think of another sport where general information isn't free, like past performances and stuff like that. I mean, horse racing is obviously unique in that regard, but I can't think of another sport where that type of information is not easily accessible or you have to pay for it. Yeah. I mean, I kind of, you know, I always, I never understand it because it's like you go to a sports book, right? And they have all these numbers for you to look at for sports books. But you go to a racetrack, you don't get the same thing. You have to pay $3 for a program just to get minuscule information. And, yeah, I, I know that you got to pay people. But at the same token, you got to give some of the information for free. Right. I I can't think of a single other sport where you can't look up, you know, a baseball player or a basketball player's stats or anything like that and be like, oh, no, this is going to cost you a dollar to see this. 
I, I don't disagree, and I know it's I know it's a tough position because they've got to make money to survive. Um, right. But there's got to be a way to do it, and I think the ADW is the way. And I think that's why there's DRF bets now, and that's why there's Twins Fires and the rest. I mean, if they can just start to where they get enough customers that they can afford to lower their prices or make them free, then you know, I mean, the rag sheets. I love the rag sheets. But I, even even me, as big a better as I am, I refuse to pay twenty dollars to see one card. I mean, it's just so I buy them on Oaks and Derby Day and Breeders' Cup Day, and that's pretty much the only days I buy them on. Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll make an investment at Saratoga with the with um, with Thoroughgraph, and you know Thoroughgraph has their own deal with Naira Bats. They. Um, you know, unfortunately, I can't bet in Houston. I have to go to the racetrack to do it. So I don't get those refunds, right? So I have to, if I go and I buy, you know, if I'm going to play Saratoga every day, that's going to run me almost $100 a week just for Saratoga. Right, and, that's, a, that's a lot of money. You know, so I'm already in the hole, what, $800 before the meet ends? So... I mean, I totally, if they ever were to do something where they're like, we'll give you, you know, $200 a month and you can pick as many racetracks as possible, I would be down for that. Yep, I agree. I mean, so, so, and the thing is, we need out, outside the box thinking. We have too many people having the same ideas, the same lame ideas. But then when you bring up something outside the box, you get laughed at. Um, I was in a meeting at Turfway, not only, I, I think it was two years ago, maybe three time runs, runs amok on me. And I suggested if you're going to redo everything, why don't you make two paddocks? And they were like, well, two paddocks, God, that's so stupid. I'm like, well, you could run races every 12 to 15 minutes then. And they looked at me like I had three heads. I'm like, well, you think the answer is 45 minutes in between races like Saratoga? I mean, people want action. That's why they go to Belterra and bet 12 different racetracks. They, they want action. They don't want to, if you're at Saratoga, 40 minutes is fine. Nobody cares. You're, 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 you're drinking, you're talking, you're walking around. But when you're sitting at home, it's miserable. Right. I mean, I cut my entire, I cut my entire yard, come back, take a shower and I don't miss a race. Yeah. Um, and even like, if you go to the track, like, I'll, I'll get my wife to go to the races and like on big days, like we last one she went to was breeder's cup at Santa Anita when Arrogate beat California Chrome and her bit. And I have a picture of her where I took right before the horses went onto the track for the turf race. And she's sitting there watching the Texas A&M football game because she's bored. She doesn't want to sit there for 45 minutes to an hour waiting for races. She just doesn't like it. She, she doesn't think it's something that anything should happen. She, she wants to be able to see the races regardless if she bets or not. And I think a lot of other people would want to see the same thing. Yep. I, I don't understand it. I, I mean, we got to do something. There's so many and takeouts, a whole different issue, but I, I've said this and I'm a big player and I get big rebates. But until they stop doing that, takeout's never going to go down. No. Because when you when you got multi-million dollar players getting 13, 14% back on every bet, why would they ever push to lower the takeout? 
I mean, look at the pick fives. We're all getting like 2%, all the big players. The, the small players love it. The big players hate it. They're getting 12% on a pick four. Which bet do you think the big players are making? I mean, right, it, yeah. it's, it's if you can average 9 to 11% rebate, you got a chance. And that's why the big players all get that. But the small players don't get anything or they get very, very little. And then they get screamed at when they don't bet enough and they're going to get cut off. And I've been there for 10 years with guys because I was the middleman for a long time with one that's not in business anymore. And it stinks calling them say, Hey, you're not betting enough. But if they didn't bet enough, they weren't getting anything. And, but that's never going to change everybody, you know, on Twitter, Oh, we got to go to 13, 14% takeout. That's not going to happen because the big players are going to stop playing. Canterbury, Canterbury tried it. Not one big player would play there. Now I think they're doing what, 10%? They were doing, yeah, they were doing something really, really low for a while. And their handle really didn't go up much because they got a lot of little players, but the big players all left. And you can't have that. You know, look at New York, 24% on a pick six. But they all play it. Yeah. Because they're all – the bigger players are getting 14, 15% back. Yeah, that needs to I, – I, I wouldn't mind it if that, that kind of changed, to be honest yeah. with you. I know, and I, and I get a lot – I get almost 9% on most of my bets, and I want it to change. I just don't think it's good for racing, and I, I think eventually we need to make it more fair for everybody and not just, you know, cater to the big – I know all the big players are probably going to be texting me as soon as they listen to this screaming, hey, don't say that. Because, you know, it's a lot of money. When you're betting two, three million dollars, that's a lot of money. I, I think it's big of you to say that because, I mean, obviously, a lot of the game is funded by these big players. But, I mean, how, how are we supposed to get young people involved and, you know, switch over these generations if they aren't taken into account, too? I think there's something that we obviously need to figure out that can be inclusive for everybody. And, of course, it's easier said than done when you have generational gaps and pay gaps and stuff like that. But you can't be screwing your big players and screwing your younger players at the same time. So there's, there's gotta be some kind of a middle effort there. There has to be. You would hope so. <laughs> I, I, I always laugh because I, there was this one guy I used to know and he was always flashing how much money he made at poker. And um, one day he, he came home with like, he was on Instagram or something. He's, flashing like $5,000 and I asked him, well, how long did it take you to make $5,000 today? And he said, Oh, I was, I was grinding for 10 hours. And I'm like, okay, so what, what's that? Like $500 an hour? He's like, yeah. And then I, it just so happened to be the same day that I hit the beholder pick, pick five at Santa Anita for like 25,000. And I said two and a half hours right here, 25 K. Right. It's like, you can't don't flash money thinking that your way is the best way when horse racing, if you know how to do it is per hour, probably the best way to make money. And they need to start figuring out a way to share that with younger kids, but also letting them understand that it's also a big risk. It's like starting your own business and you have to know when to stop and when to go and, and all that. Guys, anybody? I'm here. Well, everybody stopped talking, so I'm like, 
Apparently, I didn't say anything smart. Uh, <laughs> I was just listening. Um, so you were talking about your brother, right? And like I said earlier, before we got on, obviously, you're more famous than your brother. Um, your brother's Mick Cronin. And, um, when he got hired at UCLA, my aunt was livid. Like, why are they hiring this guy from Ohio? I don't understand it. Why don't they hire some guy from UCLA? That's the way to go. And I remember telling her, um, he'll be fine. You, you're okay. Just breathe a little. And obviously it has been that way. Um, did he get a lot of that? Does it, his coaching tree go from your dad or does it go from somebody else? From you? Well, I, you know, he started off at the high school level at a really famous high school here called Woodward High School that had a, a player, an All-American named Damon Flint, who was on the team when Mick first started. So he got to know Coach Huggins and several other coaches through that um, because Damon was basically living at our house. I was in college then, but da Damon was basically living with us because he had no parents. So he kind of started getting into that. And then coach Huggins told him right in front of my mother, you know, you, if you get your degree and you get Damon to come here, I'll give you a job. Of course they called me down at school. I started laughing. I said, yeah, right. That's just a typical coach recruiting. He's not going to give you a job, but it got him off the 10 year plan because he was not a good student and did not want to go to school. And he was sitting on my mom's couch and my mom was ready to strangle him taking one class a semester. And, and finally, he started getting towards his degree, and then I'll be damned as soon as he got his degree, Coach Huggs hired him, and we were all in shock. My dad was in shock that he, that he actually got hired at the lowest position, but he got hired, and from there, he just had to work his way up, and, you know, he always could coach. Um, he's always been hard-nosed because he's the younger brother. I mean, I was all city, all state. And he was two years younger, and he had to wait his turn until I left to get on the floor because we both played point guard. So he understood patience. He understood getting his head beat in every day. And, and then when it was his time to shine, he did. And then he blew his knee out at his, his, the end of his junior year. So his senior year was all messed up on one leg. So he knew he had to go into coaching if he was going to do that. Um, you know, so he got lucky. He got the freshman JV job at, at Woodward. Three or four years later, he's on the UC staff. And then he got lucky again. One of the guys that was their head recruiter got in a little bit of trouble over a plane flight and got fired. So they had to give somebody a job. So Hugs just moved him up instead of going out and getting somebody else. So now I think he was 26 years old. He was on the road recruiting. Um, and then he was able to get Damar Johnson and Kenny Satterfield and, and Kenyon Martin and a few other ones to come to UC. And Next thing you know, Coach Patino got the job at uh, at Louisville, and he went to Sonny Vaccaro and asked Sonny, who's the best young recruiter in the country? I need him. I'm getting back into college, coming back from the Boston Celtics. Or was it? Yeah, it was the Celtics or the Knicks. I can't remember. One of the two. He was coming back for the NBA, and Sonny Vaccaro said, it's Mick Cronin. You need to go get him. And when he asked permission to talk, Huggins gave it to him, thinking Mick would never leave because he's from Cincinnati. But then they gave him so much more money and an assistant head coach title and all this other stuff that he had to take it. Um, and they promised him you'd have a job within three years. And his third year, he got the job at Murray State. 
and he just kept going up and up from there. And uh, so it's a heck of a ride. It's fun to watch your little brother do that for sure. Um, it doesn't surprise me that LA hasn't that 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 LA's worked because he's always been good at developing talent, and he's never had the highest talent. And now he's finally got that. So it doesn't surprise me that they're winning at all. Um, and I'd be I, knock on wood. I'd be surprised if they don't they don't have a national title in the next seven to ten years. I, I really think they're on that trajectory. Hopefully, it doesn't turn into the minor leagues by paying everybody by then. But um, if college basketball is still around in seven or ten years, I, I think I think they're they're going to be the elite of the elite. So when you when how. So when you when you get your family together and you guys go to the races, obviously you're the you're the big ticket, um, so to speak. Um, do you give them information? Yeah, yeah. I mean, my dad's been handicapping for fifty years, but he still he always wants my stuff, and he loves it when I get uh, babies because he knows he can't get that information. And I've got so many. <laughs> I call my little grooms. Uh, I've got all these little grooms and barns in, in, in Kentucky that give me information. And when I get it, it's pretty good. I mean, the, the Asmussen Saratoga information in the last few years has been unbelievable. And the Cox information the last year or two has been unbelievable. Just to give you an example, both guys that hit the 110,000 uh, pick five, both, both of them singled strobe because we knew about strobe for probably three months. And when he got in, I was actually – on Twitter going, oh, my God, oh, my God, he got in. Now, I didn't say who it was, but all my players knew because we have a list of, of babies we're waiting on. And Cox gave me five of them about three months ago. Four of them have run, four of them have win, and we got one left to go. So we were very confident Strobe was going to win easy. So, you know, my brother will ask for that kind of information. He'll call and say, hey, I'm betting today. You got anything on this – firster that firster but as far as a normal race they both like to handicap their own they just want the information they, they want to take the lazy way out so let's discuss your website now that now that we've kind of gone full circle tell everybody about it for one um uh i will i will be honest i've heard about it i've seen your stuff i i like it there are some things that I kind of go like, hmm, I don't think I'd hit the all button. But, I mean, that's just the way I play. And, obviously, your way works because I've seen some of the tickets you've cashed. And kudos to you on those because there's some of, some of them are monstrous, um, especially the one at Kentucky Downs a few years ago. Um, but uh, tell everybody about the website, how it works, and all that fun stuff. Sure, it's fatballguyracing.com. We're actually on our eighth year right now. It started out uh, just giving out a tip or two a day, and it quickly evolved into they don't want that. You know, a lot of guys will say, well, how come you handicap every race? Well, if you knew our guys, you'd know why. We tried not to, and the minute we didn't have a pick in one of the races, my phone blew up. Well, what about the third? Well, what about the fourth? Well, I don't like anybody till the sixth. Yeah, but what about the fifth? What about the pick three? What about the pick four? So we finally just developed a chart, ABC chart. And, and yes, we go, we sometimes put seven, eight horses on it because guys are betting trifectas. They're betting superfectas. Everybody's so different. Um, we try to cater to everybody, the small player, the bigger player. And that's why the chart's so key. 
because a smaller player can say, well, like you said, you got all in this race. Well, I can't afford it. Well, they can go to the chart and say, well, who's the five horses he likes the least and just chop those off. And now instead of a $200 ticket, it's, you know, a hundred dollar ticket or an $80 ticket. And they really haven't changed anything. They just chopped off by the chart. And sometimes you get burned. Sometimes you don't, you know, even when we take two horses, if you like the top pick and you don't really like the second pick, you can chop him off and you know how the chart works. It's right in order of the horses that we would take in that specific order all the way down to the end. Um, and then I even put in the comments, if you can afford it, take all. If you're a small player, you may only want to take two or three horses here, but that's up to your complete budget. And then the, I think what's made us the most successful is we just don't gouge people. Um, I mean, it's $39 a month or $3.99 a year. And if you're a smaller player, we do $2.99 a year. I mean, that's 25 bucks a month. I mean, that's especially nowadays. I mean, that's not even a lunch. That's that's you know, that that's two trips to McDonald's. So we're not gouging anybody, we're never price anybody out. I've never turned anybody away that said, Hey, I'm a really small player. Uh, we just don't want to do that. So, you know, even the biggest players, I mean, I've got guys betting three, four million a year that pay four hundred dollars a year for all the information we give. And we don't I never hide information. I've had several people over the years say like a horse like Strobe, why would you tell anybody? Or a horse like Echo Zulu opening day at Saratoga. I told everybody for three weeks, when she gets in, don't listen to anything else. She's a freak. She cannot lose. I don't care what anybody in New York says. I know all about this filly. She is a absolute monster. We got four to one that day. I mean, where can you get that for 30 bucks a month? I mean, Normal people are at a soccer game. You know, they got three kids or two kids that are running around to soccer and baseball and football. And, you know, they want to bet, but they just don't have time to do that kind of stuff. You know, we got a lot of guys that handicap their own, and that's fine. And all they do is glance at the sheet in the baby races and say, well, what did he hear? What does he know? What does he know versus what I know? And, you know, we've got several trainers that buy our stuff. We got a few celebrities that buy our stuff. We got a few... <laughs> Uh, pro athletes that buy our stuff. We got a couple announcers that buy our stuff because they're busy. They want to gamble, but they're busy. They don't have time. They glance at the sheet. They bet their own. And, you know, nobody complains. I don't think I've had three or four complaints in eight years because they know we're just trying to help. We're trying to be the caddy. I'm not, you know, telling you you have to do this or that. But the star plays separated to where if you're an ROI player, and we can talk about this one, for, for a week, 99% of players are not ROI players. They're action guys. They want to play. Yeah. They just want to play, right? And I know Ellis Starr gets all kinds of grief for acknowledging that online, um, but it's the truth. They, You know, if you only want to play a couple a day, we put stars next to them. If you only want to play a couple a week, we put four stars next to those. So where if, if you only want to make one or two bets a week, don't bet anything but the four stars. You only want to bet the three stars and just bet the three stars. But if you want action, we got every race. So it try, we just try to be there for everybody and do the best we can and keep it cheap, you know, so we don't price anybody out. I always think it's funny, like sites that will redboard and like, like you, you, you've even gone on Twitter and said, man, you know what? Today's not our day. We're, we're stinking today. Just nothing's falling into place. And you even apologize to it, right? 
Yeah. And even I'll I'll do it on our on our little, you know, we just put out picks just to put out picks for free, right? And it's one of those things to where um, it's not going to be your day every day. It's it just right. not. And sometimes you're going to run cold. And I have a hard time when someone redboards and goes, um, it pays for itself. You know, you just da-da-da-da-da-da. Here's a, you know, we just hit a $1,000 pick four and blah, blah, blah. And then you're thinking to yourself, and you're thinking to yourself, uh, okay, uh, that's your first pick four and how long? Uh, now do the multiplication on how many times people bet it. Um, they're still down, you know, kind yeah. of thing. And to me, uh, that that is so bothersome, especially when you're gouging players out of their money. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. And one of my pet peeves, and I don't ever expose anybody, you never see me do that. We track public handicappers all the time on our website. I got an IT guy that goes to whatever the site is for, you know, this channel, that channel, you know, whatever, this track, that track handicapper, and we've got their stats. And some of them are just flat out embarrassing. I mean, embarrassing. I mean, there's guys that are under 20%. And, and look, if you get to 30 in a meet, you're really good. Because when you're picking two days ahead of time, Caitlin knows this, you're picking a day or two ahead of time. It's, you know, there's changes, there's weather, there's things. A lot of times there's nothing you can do about it unless you're hurrying up and going back and changing. But you can't be at 20% and be on TV or be on a website or be, you know, the, the analyst. It's, it's hard. To, I mean, I know that if you can't be 27, 28, 29%, we don't want you on our site. I mean, we, we fired guys. I mean, I just tell them you got to be somewhere in the high twenties, to low thirties, or you can't be on our site because we got to give people a chance. We're not trying to break people. You know, you got to give them a chance and there's, I don't want all favorites, but I don't want somebody picking all 20 to ones and going one for 29 and then saying, Oh, I hit him. I hit that 40 to one shot. Well, you broke everybody. You lost 28 in a row. You know, right. there's actually a guy on a site right now that brags about that. He, and I, and I, sh I showed my buddy his Kentucky Derby prep picks for the last five years. And he was like one for 56. And the only one he got right was justified. And I just started laughing. I was like, now, how does he get, how does he get a salary? You know? <laughs> so, you know, it, I just think you got to pick winners. The ROI is for the individual player. Cause we can't, we can't make them win, you know, because you can't be with them at the track all day long, but you can give them a chance. And if you, if you pick winners, you give them a chance, but if you never pick a winner, you're going to, you're going to really, that's the one thing guys that first come to our site will say, um, God, I can't believe that many people downloaded our picks. I'm like, I told you people are betting their hard earned money on your picks. Don't half ass them. Do the research, put it on the sheet. If you don't have time to do it, call me and I'll do it. You know, cause we're trying every day. And I think that's all you can ask of a handicapper is pick winners. My opinion. Yeah. I mean, I'll do mine. I'll do my handicapping the night before for the next day kind of deal. But I've got so many trip notes on 99% of these horses that, you know, I, unless there's something that's glaring, 
I'm I'm gonna try to beat a favorite if I think the favorite's beatable, you know. And uh, Caitlin's the same way. And I think Caitlin and I do a predominantly very good job when we go when when it's overseas. Like I think I think out of most handicappers that say that they cover overseas racing, I think Caitlin and I probably have the best ROI out of everybody um, because we know all the horses, we know the connections, we know what's going on. Whereas other people um, sometimes don't. And, you know, they'll just throw up. Oh, Wesley's got six and we're going to put Wesley one, two, three, four. Okay, great. <laughs> Do you know that with Wesley, if he starts a horse at Keeneland and then runs at Ascot, he barely wins with, he never wins with those horses. How many people know that? Not a lot of people. Well, now everybody will, but I mean, you know, it's just, it's just little things like that that separate being able to make a lot of money on the domestic market compared to people who don't. And that includes like your stuff, your stuff is gold. Um, and I don't care if people say that I'm, you know, kissing your behind on it, but I mean, you do, you guys do do a good job for the price. It definitely works. And right. I, I, I mean, if we were charging 300 or 400 a month, I could see people saying, ah, hell with that guy. But I mean, I got one guy that pays $22 a month because he broke down exactly what he paid. And I said, you know, well, how much money he played? And I said, well, I don't want all your money here. How, what was 22 work for you? You know, after the credit card company takes their three bucks, this is what we get. You know, he's like done. You know, I'm not kicking people out over money. I, I just, I don't believe in it. I, I believe in charge them low and have a big, a big conglomerate of guys. And that's why I think before COVID we were up to like 370 something. Now we're back up to about 330 something. And then we get four or 500 buyers on big days, derby days, stuff like that. And I'm not dumb. I know they're handing it to their buddies and stuff. And I don't care as long as I don't, I don't know they're emailing it to 20 people that, that, you know, I think everybody knows consciously what's right and what's wrong. You know, and I, and I said the same thing with DRFs and everybody, Hey, if you hand your uh, print out an extra one for your buddy or your dad, nobody cares. But if you're emailing it to 30 guys, that's not right. It's just not, you know, and everybody knows it's not right. So that's kind of the philosophy that I use with our sheet. If you're going with three guys to, to Santa Anita and one of them has the fat ball guy sheet. I don't care if you made three copies. I, I'm glad I look at it as advertising, right? I mean, my brother calls me all the time and says some millionaires going to Del Mar. You got a sheet you can send me. My, my personal favorite, what was it? Saturday, Caitlin, we're sitting there at Wagner's and some guy goes, you going to the races? And we're like, yeah. Just throws a form at us. He throws a form at us, and it's like already all scribbled in. It's like, <laughs> it's like, why are you giving me this if it's already scribbled in? It does me no good. It's like that. That's basically telling me your opinions, not mine. Kind right. of deal. He wants to give you all his picks. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> you know, we should have kept it to see if he was right. Probably marked all the wrong stuff on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I mean. Look, here's the way I see it. There, there's a way of go, going about sharing information, right? I mean, all along the ways. The way, the way, and I'll, I'll mention Swift. The way Swift did it was completely wrong, basically going after DRF the way he did. Yeah. Right? 
that that was the wrong way to do it. But if but if you have a if if you have a group of people that subscribe to your stuff and let's say you have you know DRFs lying around or something like that, that's not to me. Okay, fine. What's the harm in that? They're going to play the races anyway. The likelihood of them buying another DRF is pretty good. When they're not part of your site, um, why not? And like we go back to it, the more money goes into the windows, the better off everybody is. No, I I don't disagree. I I just think it's your own, like you said, it's your unconscious. If it's one or two people and it's your buddy or you're sitting at the table with them, fine. You're emailing it to a whole list of people and then you're dumb enough to go on Twitter and brag about it. <laughs> that, then it's on you. I wouldn't do anything like that. That's for, that's for daggone sure. That just doesn't make any sense to me, but, but I'm with you guys. I like to handicap my own stuff, but I also do like to see, there's a few guys that I respect and I like to see who they like. Joe Christopher to me is as good as you get. I, I mean, we've got him tracked for two years. He picks as many winners on television as anybody in the industry, and I don't know if he's ever lost a meet to anybody. I is mean, that your partner, Caitlin? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Joe is a, the Churchill guy. He is really, really good, and he and the numbers back it up. I mean, he is. So when he, if he puts a, a, a pick on the TV, and I don't have him in a pick three or pick four, the, my first thing is, oh man, what did I miss? And I'm going back and hurrying up and looking to see what I missed. But then there's other there's other guys on TV that I could care less what they take, and I actually get mad when if 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 they pick the horse, I go, oh no, you know, because <laughs> I don't want you know I don't want everybody betting on him and betting it down. So we got enough people on the horse, right? It's like, oh no. So yeah, yeah true. I love yeah. bad morning lines, don't you guys? I love it. Everybody else complains. I love them. I love when they miss the morning line. Well, I'll tell you oh. why. I'll, but see, I'll give you a reason why I don't like the morning line guys being wrong, right? You, Caitlin, you and Caitlin, yourself and Caitlin have like this perfect setup to where you guys are able to bet right away, right? So if you like a horse and the horse is getting played down, you're going to be like, up, oh, everybody knows it. Uh, I'm, we'll, we'll make money and you can adjust your bet, right? Whereas me, I have to make my bet ahead of time and I don't want to sit through 12 races just for the one bet I make. If so I you're off doing something else and hoping they don't get bet down. And yeah, so I'm hoping okay. that I get, so my thought process is I'm hoping I'm going to get, yeah, maybe I get, maybe the horse is 10 to one morning line and I see it as a, Four to one, five to one. Okay, I'll, I'll take that. But when I when I get home and I see I hit and it pays seven dollars, that 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 doesn't. I wouldn't have made the trek out there to bet a seven dollar horse. Right. Right. So it kills me because gas is thanks to Biden, gas is expensive. And get me going on him. I'm not. <laughs> I just that was kind of like a little joke, but I didn't want you to like. <laughs> go off, <laughs> but it, it it's just frustrating because some morning line guys are spot on. There's other morning line guys. I just would love to know what is going through their head, or if they're even bother to even do the work. Well, we could pick on Battaglia for a second. I thought he missed 
15 races Friday and Saturday, Oaks and Derby Day. He had the wrong favorite in like half the races. He had Osborne eight to one in the second race, one off two, five to two. And there was no way that horse was going to be eight to one. He had I'll the be wrong Chad Brown. I mean, I, there was so many of me had wrong. I was like, I don't know what this guy's looking at. Dan, I think you can sympathize with me with this, with Turfway and Churchill. Um, as I have gotten better and been more familiar with this horse crop, I factor the hand, the morning lines out when I'm looking at my forms and, you know, whether it be DRF, Brisnet, whatever, I take them out because sometimes they are just so skewed or off. I'm like, I'm not even going to look at these because it's going to have a tendency to kind of sway my opinion when I'm the one that, you know, I've seen these horses, I've seen this and my boyfriend's actually gotten super, super into handicapping and betting. He bets well, he handicaps without the morning lines. Yeah, I agree with you on Turfway. I love doing it without the morning line. And that goes back <laughs> to the last, ever since I know Mike wasn't doing them anymore and they were going to his son and to his son's buddy. And I don't even know who's doing them now, but I mean, it's, it's a nightly thing. And you know, I mean, it's a nightly thing. You look over and you're like, there's no way he's got this horse five to one. He's going to be six to five, you know, it's like, yeah. like, you know, but in, in Andy's point of view, the, the hard part about that is now you give out a five to one star play, or this is the horse I'm going to bet on. And then he ends up four to five and you got all these guys mad thinking, Oh, well, there you go again, giving out chalk. And it's like, well, I mean, what am I supposed to do? I like the horse. I like the five to one. I mean, I can't help the guy missed it again, you know? So it does get kind of frustrating, but yeah, I agree with you, especially at Turfway. It's yeah. Just... I mean, Indian, Indy Grand is bad. Like it's frustrating. I think the other day I said, I think I, I tweeted out how, how can I, how can I keep my family fed when the horse that I liked was like six to one morning line. And I figured it'd go off at three to one and he goes off at six to five right it's like that horse screamed it should be the favorite and it wasn't and and, and it shouldn't have been a non-play but you know you get six to one you're like hey now that's something but the computer models also the computers also screw over the betters too and i think that's got to stop yeah and again i had an outside to tell me what you guys think is i had a completely outside the box thought on this to stop the eight to five to three to five down the backside that all of us can't stand. Right. Mm -hmm. Why don't we do what boxing does, what basketball does, what all these sports do. You put in a clock and when the clock hits zero, the alarm goes off and there's you're, no done. you're done. And you try to time it that it's right when they're entering the gate. So everybody's not mad, but by the time they're in the gate, it's over. Everything's in. All the computers are in. And everybody knows what those odds are before the thing latches. It's just, it's so frustrating to young players and me when I've got a two-to-one shot, especially at a Turfway or Belterra, you know, the smaller pools. I bet on a horse the other day, five-to-one at Jamie Grubbs. It goes in the gate, and, and she paid eight-to-five. I was so mad when they crossed the wire with, a you know, a five-length winner. It just ruins it for people. And it's, it's so deceiving. Easy. Just put a clock right on the screen. You know, it's not that hard. I, I mean, I know it's outside the box, but. That's I actually, I think it's a great idea. But then you'd have people, especially on ADWs, that are always trying to pull a fast and be like, whoa, 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 like, ah, my mind said something different. And of course, you know, that's 
an issue with that. But I mean, I agree with you. You know, once the first horse starts loading into the gate, sorry, you're done. It's closed. It's done. Because I mean, I'll be the first to admit I've gotten crafty with stuff like this. If it's still going to take my bet, I'm still going to put it in there. But no, I'm totally with you. That That's something that really is frustrating to me. Turfway was bad about it. Um, I can't think of a few other tracks that I'm really, that I handicap a lot or bet a lot that are bad about it. But I mean, Saratoga's all not as bad because Saratoga stopped letting computer players bet inside of two minutes. So that's why you didn't see it as much at Saratoga because yeah. they cut they cut all the computers off at two minutes. And it helped. It you did. Know, I think you should cut everybody off when that horn sounds, and I just think it people would get people would get used to it. They're getting ready to enter. You can see the clock go down. It when it hits zero, it's over. It's done. Go sit down. But, but I mean, that's what they do. That's what they do overseas too, right? I mean, they have that clock. That clock is ticking down. The minute it hits zero, those horses are in the gate. Dubai does it all the time. Japan it, does it too. Yeah, it, it frustrates me to no end that. People can sneak in an extra bet here and there, or a computer can you, can decipher that horse is five to one. It should be three to one. Okay, let's pump all the money into that horse. Well, and I can tell you guys this. I used to be involved in it when I was a teenager at River Downs with the tote. There used to be, and I don't know if there is anymore because my dad's not a mutual clerk anymore, but there used to be about a two-second delay before the pools would close. So we called it betting the bell where they would have like 50 to win plugged in already in the machine. And the mutual clerks would all sit with their hands just above the keys. And I would stand under the TV and soon as we did it in every two-year-old race, soon as they latched it, whoever broke in front, I would scream that number. Didn't matter who it was, whoever broke in front, I would scream five and they'd all hit the five button. And half of them would get the 50 to win out of the machine because of the tote delay. Yeah, now, there's still, there definitely still has to be one from when I worked at TVG. I'm telling you, I still think there is. Yeah, so imagine good computer people, how many guys have the live feed, not a delay, but they're live, and they can see in a baby race or whatever, They hey, you bet on a speed horse, and you know he's got to make the lead. You got to make sure he comes out in front. One stride out, he's a body length in front. You hit the bet and you get it. I mean, that's cheating. But because our computers, I'm telling you, it happened for years at River Downs. And I don't know, I'm not involved in it anymore, but it wouldn't surprise me if there, if there ain't guys doing it at home. There ain't guys doing it at the racetrack because somehow it's happening and it can't all just be, you know, ADW money just coming in after the buzzer. It just can't be. It just well, many of them one thing that i've never understood um i mean unless you see you know a horse acting up in the post parade you can always obviously cancel a bet but what is the benefit of running up and betting right at the last second i i wish i knew my brother and dad do it and that's why i, I do don't it. do it i, I don't I, know how any I, 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 do do I do it uh, um it depends on where i'm at if i'm at if I'm at Sam Houston, I definitely do it later because some people know me there and they know I'm looking at something different. So if they see that I'm going up to the window, there's something I saw that I want to bet. They're going to follow me to try to get the same bet in. Um, used to happen at Santa Anita too, where 
um, some of the old timers who I've known forever would see me walk to the window and they would want me, they would be like, Oh, why are you going to the window? What did you see? What did you see? And I'm like, I'm going to the window to, to you know, I'd always have like a voucher. Like, I'm just going to cash the voucher, which was bullshit because I was really going to go make a bet, but they didn't know that. I just didn't want them following me because I liked a horse. Right. right. So, I mean, I understand that part, but at the same token, I've also played the tote game at Los Alamitos with Arabian racing back in the day where we had a whole, we would have a horse in at one of the race in one of the races for the Arabians and the morning lines guy made it like made them like two to one. You can't make money at Los Alamitos on Arabians at two to one, but you can, if you bet your other horse, and bet that horse down to six to five and wait until the last possible minute to pull that money off of the horse that you actually want to win. So you cancel and switch it over. Yep. Yeah. We used to manipulate the toad all the time. Hmm. And Caitlin's like, you suck. (laughs) (laughs) But that that leads me back to the other points. Everybody's always looking for an edge. That's why when people complain about this trainer or that trainer, I just start laughing. I'm like, everybody is looking to do something. Every better, every jockey, every jockey's agent, every mutual clerk is looking for an edge. You, you think if you give somebody too much money, the mutual clerk's going to be honest and give it back to you. You might one out of a hundred will, you know, same way with trainers. When they, when they went to the no Lasix on two-year-olds, I had three trainers within a week tell me the substance they were using that simulates Lasix that they're testing on their two-year-olds. I mean, that's why I'm so, I'm so against getting rid of Lasix because all they're going to do is give them something else. And we don't know if that's something else is safe. So it ain't like they're just going to not give them anything. They're not going to do that because they're bleed. And if they bleed, they got to give them something. So, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many trainers have said, yeah, we give them this, this, and this. And I don't understand all the drugs, but it, it you know, it's an advantage to have a wife as a veterinarian, I would think. Oh, gee, I wonder who you're speaking of. Um, <laughs> Best trainer in Kentucky by far. Oh, oh yeah, that one. <laughs> so and they don't even have to do anything wrong. She's just really good. She's really I, good. She's really good. I told Caitlin. I told Caitlin this, and I and I will even post it on. I've posted it on Twitter before. I go, you know, you know what's happening at home when he's going bad. Like, you know he's in the doghouse when, when all of a sudden he goes 0 for 30 with his next 30 horses, right? It's like, you know it, you know it, you know it, you know it. Caitlin's going, who's the trainer? Caitlin. Do you think I'm stupid or something? No, <laughs> she, she knows. <laughs> she knows. Um, before, before we uh, finish up here, it's been awesome to have you on for one, but uh, I want to know Caitlin's thoughts and your thoughts on the Preakness. I think it's a very chalky race. Um, I think Epicenter is going to sit behind early voting, go into the lead on the top of that turn, put that one away. And then it's just a matter of if he's, if he, if he runs back to the rags numbers that he has in the past, not in the Derby, but that he has in the past six and a half, six and a quarters, eights, there's nobody that can run that number. Now, if he runs another 11 like he did in the Derby, now all of a sudden some of these other horses like Secret Oath and Simplification 
maybe even creative minister who I've got enough money on that one already. So uh, we, we won so much money Derby day on him that, that the actually the last two times he ran, we lost all the money on him first time when they misjudged the wire and got him beat when he, I'll, that's another morning line we could discuss. I think he was 12 to one that day went off six to five or something. Um, and then the next two times he went easy. I think creative ministers got a big chance to upset the whole field. If epicenter doesn't show up. And I think that's the race. I, I, I don't like early voting secret oath, I guess has a chance um, simplification and create a minister. I'm betting eight with one, two with all eight with all with one, two, and I'm just going to keep punching it. That's the way I'm playing it. I think it's actually, I, I agree with you that it's somewhat chalky, but I think it's actually a pretty good race. A lot of people are, you know, pissed that rich strike isn't going. So what the horse would have never won the Preakness anyway, who cares? Like, you're just mad that he can't take money and give you better prices on other horses, which I mean, I understand that. But I, I just like people that are fans, I don't know why they're so upset about him not going, you know, fairy tales like that don't win triple crowns. Let's let's be realistic. Right. So, I mean, I I think it's a pretty good race. Epicenter is a likely winner, but I think simplification can step up. Secret Oath maybe can step up. I'm with you on Creative Minister. I think you know that's probably it we'll see what early voting does i think early voting is maybe hindered a little bit with arm and yak coming in for the yak team barn that's a pretty fast horse too i think early voting is maybe a bit faster but could be in there to maybe put some pressure because i don't think he can win the race but you know it's either that i think epicenter is going to be good enough somebody new will emerge or chad brown is going to look like a genius with another cloud computing I, I think it can only go so many ways, but I think it's an intriguing race. Um, I guess I, I guess I don't understand what people want because so many horses are not going to come back from the Derby to go to the Preakness if Epicenter goes. I think a lot more would have went if Rich Strike went. But yeah, I mean, if a lot Epicenter would have scratched. They might have got fourteen. Right. So I, I guess with the Phillies. Didn't they get 14 with the Phillies? Right. With a because bad favorite. Secret Oath ended up going to the Preakness. Right. And yeah. they got a bad favorite in a black eyed Susan, too. So everybody's loving that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I guess, I guess I just don't understand what people want. And that kind of, you know, goes back to the whole, well, we got to change the Triple Crown and stuff like that. Um, no, we just, there has to be some more incentives. Horses need to get stronger and prepare for, you know, two races or instead of just one or all three and kind of get things back to where they should be. The only thing that I wouldn't care about if they did was if it was a six week triple crown instead of five, three weeks between all of them, I would accept that. Do I want it? No, but to space it out to a month, absolutely not. I'm in agreement. I think, uh, you know, you, you were so high on epicenter, not on epicenter on early voting, you made this call like weeks before it was even made. Um, the biggest thing that I have that I just don't, I just don't see it happening is I don't know if, I don't know if Yak is going to send, is going to tell Ira to send. I honestly don't. Well, after what we saw from the Yak horses in the Derby, I don't know what's going to happen. 
because I think the fact that they, I mean, they sent Messier, but it wasn't, you know, right away. And I thought that was his only chance to win. And he couldn't keep up and he got swallowed up. But I mean, also there was a suicidal pace, but Taba did nothing. So I'm not sure kind of what the plan is for those horses, because, you know, if they're being trained different than Bob had them or there's different tactics being used, that kind of is the mystery horse. I don't, I don't think he's a win candidate by any means, but I need to kind of know what point of the race he's going to come in and mess it up. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. You want to take us out, Caitlin? Sure. Thank you for listening to another edition of the GOAT Zoom Room. I'm sure we'll be back in the coming weeks to discuss Preakness. Look forward to Belmont, Saratoga, and plenty of international racing. We have Royal Ascot coming up in about a month, so there's plenty going on, but we look forward to seeing you back here next time.